the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the Daily Show Prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. I want you to understand the difference should a uh, person on the left in your family or friend say, well, what's the difference when we fire professors or employees for saying something and you're boycotting Disney? And the answer is we don't boycott about with regard to what people say, it's what, what they do. If the, if the head of Disney was a communist, I would not boycott Disney. It's what they're doing at the parks and in the films that means I cannot patronize them. That should be obvious to anyone except someone in graduate school. So now you have the, uh, the difference in a nutshell. See the videos about people cheering flight attendants collecting masks to throw away. If masks are so helpful, I ask those on the left who love to control you, it's all about control and hypochondria. People on the left are more scared about life, more scared about death, and they are desirous of controlling others. The idea that a Trump-appointed judge would undo their control is too much to bear. It has nothing to do with science, nothing whatsoever. Let me ask you a question, because I believe that common sense is the most powerful leader to truth and policy. If masks saved lives on airplanes, or for that matter anywhere, other than a surgical mask during surgery, which has nothing to do with virus, If masks saved lives, wouldn't flight attendants be the the first to condemn this decision? They essentially live on airplanes. If anybody will get hurt, if hurt is possible, it will be a flight attendant, much more than a pilot who's cocooned in the cockpit or flight deck, if you will. And they don't, of course, they don't wear them there either. It's all a charade uh, that uh, almost half this country has participated in. It has uh, done a job on me with regard to how I see many of my fellow Americans. I fully acknowledge it's been depressing. I had a higher opinion of my fellow Americans than was warranted. Many of my fellow Americans are terrific. I love this country, but I have to be realistic that half this country votes Democrat, votes for people who hurt this country. 
that people who should know better continue to support schools, that people who should know better continue to donate to universities, that people who should know better want people to be masked on airplanes when the flight attendants do not. By the way, since it's not mandatory that you not wear a, a mask, why aren't flight attendants continuing to wear masks? They have the most to lose if indeed the virus is so threatening on an airplane, right? But they're the happiest of all people because they know it was a farce and they know the price that they paid in the quality of life, maybe even their health. I don't know. I simply don't know. It's hard to believe that breathing in your own air every day or many hours a day and then again the two days later and then two days later and two days later is okay. Might be. It might be. But would, would anybody run a marathon wearing a mask? Maybe there are a few people, but overwhelmingly, would it be bad for you? Isn't that a logical question with regard to masks? They want democracy on the left. They always speak democracy, democracy. So would they allow a vote taken by Americans on whether to have mandates regarding masks? Philadelphia has one. Yep, anywhere you go. Still at Broadway shows. It's amazing to me that people will go to a Broadway show and knowing that they have to wear a mask the entire time. I personally would not go, not just because I would protest the policy, but because I wouldn't have a good time. Maybe masks bother me more than other people, but I don't think so. Given the cheers that went up, you know what Jen Psaki's response to the cheers that went up? Anecdotes are not data. I don't even know what she means. Anecdotes are not data. The anecdote after anecdote after anecdote after anecdote of celebratory passengers is data. Most people know they're a farce. It's not data on science. It's data on what people want. It's perfectly legit. So Her sentence doesn't mean anything. If she would have said... People's preference has nothing to do with science. Okay, we could debate that. Walked into the building today and I passed a woman staring at her phone. No one within 50 feet of her, until I passed her, wearing a mask outdoors. You you have no idea... Since I love talking to strangers, I've I've told you that many times, you have no idea how much I just want to say, please, please tell me, I'm I'm not judging you, I'm just curious. I would be as gentle as humanly possible. Why are you wearing that mask alone outdoors? It's not even an N95 mask. It was just one of these jokes that people use to wipe their nose when they have a sniffle.
But I, I don't do that. We'll be back. The Dennis Prager Show. Many people own coins that have not performed as well as they'd expected. Some own coins that have done better than they expected. Or maybe you just want to cash out and do something else with the money. Markets change, and to understand the current value of your precious metals portfolio, you should get a new valuation. So I'd like to tell you about my friend, and he is, otherwise I never use that term, Nick Rovich. Came my friend because I so admire his honesty and integrity and knowledge of the coin world, of the gold world, the silver world. He's owner of AmFed coin and bullion for over 40 years. Nick has built a reputation for trust and honesty, and his goal is to earn your business for life. Nick won't push you to sell, but when you're ready, I believe he offers the best price, trade, and consignment deals compared to anyone. Right now, Nick and the AmFed team are offering their exclusive coin performance review for free. That's right, free, with a no-pressure guarantee from Nick. Call Nick at 800-221-7694. That's 800-221-7694. 694. Hey, everybody. Hey. Dennis Prager here. All right. Let me see now. Let me clear that line. Thank you, Jimmy in LA. I want to take Champlin, Minnesota, and Peg. Hello, Peg. Hi, Dennis. How are you? Well. Good. I'm glad to hear it. I want to share a story from my neck of the woods. I work for a multinational com- company. Uh, there's 500 people on the campus I work on. We are now um, experienced people coming in with their general neutral names. However, me being a little bit on the older side, have a little bit of problems with that. So if any of these individuals go up and complain to HR, either I got their name wrong or I got their pronouns, pronouns wrong, I have to prove that it wasn't malicious or, I don't, <laughs> or well, deliberate. Well, h- how do you know what their preferred pronouns are? Um, the gal who works um, in my cube area actually has her preferred name, Arceus, and then her pronouns. Now, other people in the company... Wait, 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 wait. Forgive me. How, does she wear a badge? No. I mean, not one Then how, how are you supposed to know if you meet her and, and then refer to her? See, the word you is neutral in, in English, so that's not an issue. But if you say uh, she and I had a, a wonderful conversation, how would you know whether to use she, he, or, or Z, or they? Unless they've introduced themselves and have asked for the pronouns, I don't know. And even then, it's 500 people. Would I remember? Right, but you said that there is a lot of preferred pronoun stuff going on at your company. So I'm asking, right. how, how does it work? How, how do you know what the preferred pronoun is? Um, the one in my particular area actually has it written on her identification that goes into her queue. Same as mine so, would have so, wait, uh, so, so if you meet the person, do you see it, or you, you go online? Um, if I meet her, I wouldn't know it. Right. And can you tell me the name of this woman, Arsenius? Arceus. It's a Pokemon character. This woman has a Pokemon character name. Correct. Ar- Arceus. And is Arceus, Arceus. male or female? Uh, female. 
Do you believe this? her parents gave her this name or she has adopted it? It's adopted. Her name that I was introduced to her originally was Cheryl. So that made it even more confusing for me. So she now tells everyone her name is Arceus? Correct. Uh, is she married? I don't think so. <laughs> that was precious. Let's put it this way. We both would bet serious sums of money that she is not. Arceus. For an adult to change their name to a Pokemon character, is it fair for me to generalize? Generalize does not mean always. Generalize means in general. That there is something profoundly immature about this person. That you have adopted as an adult a Pokemon character name. Sean, you did for a while, and then the show had a maturing effect on you, if I recall. I, I never considered myself an adult when I had my Pokemon surname. Right, so you're, you're vindicating my theory. You did not think of yourself an adult. What was the Pokemon name you adopted again? Pikachu. Pikachu. <laughs> the the a problem here was getting Alan, the living martyr, to call you Pikachu. The, the, he never he ne- credit, yeah, to, to his credit, he never did. <laughs> I even I know who Pikachu is. That's the only one I knew. That's the only one you knew, right? The combination, what is it, my, my theory? The combination of affluence, secularism, and boredom is a lethal combination. It causes adults to, to change their name to a Pokemon character. Gender-neutral names. And have we reached the stage, and this is an open question, where, where there are places where it takes courage to affirm that you are male or female? It shows you the power of activist minorities. Most Americans believe they're male or female. The vast, vast, vast majority. But they don't care if their kids are taught that they will choose whether they're male or female. This is the crisis of our time. The sending of the kids there. Phoenix, Arizona. Tom, hello. Hey, Dennis. How you doing? Well... Good, good. Uh, just to let you know, I love you. You're the man. Thank you very much. Um, it means a lot. You were talking about the, you know, the the, the stewardesses and the flight attendants. Um, as far as them being happy, there's no masks anymore. And, and right, singing. I, I saw videos of people singing and dancing on the plane. And I think the majority of the the flight attendants, probably not all of them, but the majority of them are so happy. Obviously, they don't have to wear it, but they don't have to force the masks on people anymore mm-hmm. and act, act like ty- tyrants. Very good point. 
that's got to be one of the hardest things to do for a job. Right, where, uh, where your whole point I mean, is, is, to, is to be nice and, and is to right. be accommodating to people. It's it's it was it's sort of subverted the flight attendant's self image and role. That's right, especially if they didn't believe in it. Please put your mask up, even though both of us knows it's useless. We shall return. The Dennis Prager Show. In November of 2020, the Democrats were up to no good. Apparently, they were planning to pull off some degree, maybe decisive degree, of election fraud. Well, they might have been caught. Find out what they did and how they did it in the new documentary film called 2,000 Mules, directed and narrated by renowned filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza, and executive produced by Salem Media Group, with research from truethevote.org. 2,000 Mules tells the story of those who tried to hijack a presidential election. You'll see actual video surveillance tapes. You will see how their cell phones were tracked to box after box as they got paid to carry out this illegal scheme. Watch the movie and decide for yourself. Attend a limited release premiere of 2,000 Mules on May 2 or May 4. Check your local listings and get your tickets today at 2000mules.com. That's the number 2000 mules.com Hi everybody, I'm Dennis Prager I'm truly looking forward to this dialogue The author, Matthew Continetti is author of a number of books just now, it's titled The Right The Hundred Year War for American Conservatism when you read it, you realize what a gigantic umbrella, if indeed it was an umbrella and often had holes in it, to continue that metaphor, conservatism is. So first of all, Matthew Continetti, welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. It's great to be here. Thank you, Dennis. Thank you. He's at the American Enterprise Institute in Washington, and he lives across the street from the CIA in McLean, Virginia. Just a walk, a simple cross the street, and he learns all about the world. <laughs> from, from they how, won't let me in. They won't be exactly. <laughs> can, that's I an issue. Walk over there. That's but, right. Know, yeah, I'm, I should have. I should have noted that. That's right. <laughs> the book again is the right. And I, right before the show, I asked him right before this hour how long it took. He said six years, and I believe it. it it's it's quite a work. So I am going to give you my working definition of a conservative, or at least what matters to me as a conservative, and tell me why I'm wrong. And I'm not being cute. I always tell people, come on, differing with me is perfectly permitted uh, and even welcome. So I believe it's one who believes what I call, in what I call, in, in a book of mine, the American Trinity. And I got it from American coins and bills. Liberty in God we trust, e pluribus unum. And liberty obviously by definition includes smaller government. Is that a good working definition? I think it's a very good working definition for uh, mainstream American conservatism. A conservatism that grounds itself in the political principles and the institutions of the American founding. 
One thing I do in my book, The Right, though, is say that that is been one definition of uh, the right in American history over the last hundred years. And there have been competing definitions, um, the, the, not all of them looking toward the American founding, um, that have sometimes waxed and waned over the course of the history. But for most of the history I discuss, um, the, that trinity you described, Dennis, uh, would fit um, most of the American conservatives, yes. Oh, good. Well, I'm actually happy to hear that. So to get to the third rail uh, for for many conservatives, uh, Donald Trump. Would you say Donald Trump is a conservative or, or better? I don't care what he is. Did he govern as a conservative? I think the answer to that second question is uh, yes, unequivocally yes. Um, and I think that one of Trump's characteristics has always been a certain transactionalism. And so when he uh, ran for the Republican nomination in 2016, I think he realized that he would have to make peace with uh, the conservative movement, which was uh, a, a, a large part of the Republican Party, though never a controlling part of the Republican Party. And so that's where you see Trump um, uh, un unveil his list of judges, for example, after the death of Antonin Scalia. That's where you see him bring in Larry Kudlow and Stephen Moore uh, to write the tax reform bill. That he campaigned on. Uh, and it's also where you see him um, really uh, find common ground with the religious right um, and, and to some of the more social uh, conservative issues. So uh, for sure, he governed as a conservative. Indeed, it's uh, somewhat ironic that many of the, his achievements as president uh, were longstanding goals of the American conservative movement. Um, but I also think that Trump is a populist and someone who is very much interested in um, recognizing and amplifying uh, popular discontent, which was really continues to, to rage over the issue of immigration in particular. So if, if even a mainstream, and I say that positively, conservative such as yourself, wrote such a thoughtful history of American conservatism, asserts that Donald Trump governed as a conservative, why... Is there obviously a minority, but still an, a, a not insignificant group like George Will, who, who, for example, has been on this program every time he wrote a book, who has, who has made PragerU videos for my PragerU website, and uh, he loathes, uh, he's a never-Trumper. So why would a conservative like George Will be a never-Trumper if Trump governed as a conservative? Well, I, I think uh, George defined himself as a never-Trumper prior to Trump becoming president. And it was on the basis of his evaluation of Trump the person, uh, which he did not uh, identify conservatism in, Trump's um, personal conduct and uh, personality. Uh, and there's also uh, George Will's longstanding criticism of populism. And indeed, one of the things uh, that I found in researching and writing my book is that George has been making the same arguments against uh, populism, um, left or right, uh, for really half a century now. So I think by the time Trump started doing these policies uh, that I mentioned, um, George Will's view of him had already settled. Right. Uh, just for the record, you could easily see this. I wrote piece after piece against Donald Trump during the 
campaign for the presidency for the nomination, but as soon as he was nominated, and I said this in my first piece, if he's nominated, I will support him because defeating the left is the moral imperative of, of all decent Americans. So since you have such, uh, and, and, and to your credit, fine relations with the never-Trump camp of conservatives, how I, I still, to be honest, can't explain it. Uh, a conservative understands that the left might constitute an existential threat to American principles, a man is elected who is fighting that left, governs as a conservative, but they don't like his personality. I don't understand why that suffices to be a never-Trumper. Well, uh, you'd, you'd have to ask uh, them. <laughs> because, well, um, you, you have George I, Will as one of, the, uh, as one of your, the endorsers of your book at the back, and this is not a criticism at all, I promise you. I think you did a great job with this book. Uh, I'm looking to you, and maybe it's not possible, to explain to me what has been inexplicable to me, that a wonderful man like George Will will, will, will loathe a man who governs as a conservative, fights the left, but he doesn't like his personality, and that invalidates his presidency. I don't get it. The, the, the world is a mysterious thing, Dennis. I'm not sure I'm actually going to help you. Uh, okay, that's fine. No, no, no. By the way, if it's a mystery to you too, that does help me. Right. <laughs> I'm not joking, because um, you know you know these people better than I do. I know them, but you re- you've studied them, you work with them. Uh, I I am puzzled. What can I say? We can move on, but I just I did think you you might have a way of saying, Dennis, you're really misunderstanding these people, but maybe I'm not. Well, I think it's a, it's a, a large, well, it's actually not a very large group of people, but within the universe that we're speaking of, Dennis, um, there are various uh, positions, attitudes toward Trump, ideas. There are people who have left the Republican Party entirely. There are people who are uh, holding out hope for a future of the GOP without uh, Donald Trump as its leader. Uh, and there are people who um, have have made their peace uh, with with Trump, who uh, once he went into office and governed as a conservative, um, decided that, you know, uh, they they could live with him as the leader of the party, All right. and the leader of the movement. Yeah. OK, that's fair. So let's go back now. Or the, the dominant people, when I think about the nominees, all of whom I campaigned for just as much as I did for Trump. Uh, Bob Dole and Mitt Romney and John McCain, they're very different than the conservative of today. What happened? Well, I think the key thing that happened was that the populist grassroots uh, became estranged from the Republican establishment in Washington, D.C. It began toward the end of the George W. Bush years, and it accelerated through the Obama years and the Tea Party movement. And then by the time of Trump's election in 2016, the populist grassroots really came to power uh, within the Republican Party. And um, so you won't see the types of candidates that you uh, mentioned earlier. Uh, it's a new party now, and uh, it will have new leadership, um, it, it, including possibly Trump, in the years ahead. The book is The Right, The Hundred-Year War for American Conservatism. 
This will tell you what conservatism in America has been about. It's up at DennisPrager.com. Towels just don't seem to dry you anymore. They feel soft and lotiony in the store, but you get them home and they don't absorb. Well, Mike Lindell at My Pillow found that out around 2006, and towels changed forever. He found the best towel company right here in the USA. They have proprietary technology to create towels that feel soft but actually work. And that happens to be true. I use them. They are all made with USA cotton, and they come with the MyPillow 60-day money-back guarantee. Six-piece set, two bath, two hand towels, two washcloths. Regularly $109.99, now $39.99. Just go to MyPillow.com and click on the new radio listener specials and get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the towels, by entering the promo code Prager or call 800-761-6302 for these great radio specials. MyPillow.com, promo code Prager. And talk of all the things we did today. Matthew Continetti has written a book which is sort of a balancing act. I think the man has essentially walked the tightrope because there is, in every movement... There is no movement that there is no civil war inside of it, or civil war is too strong. Ideological battle. Those of you watching, I am holding the book up right now. In fact, this is the right. If you look at me, it is to the right of me. In fact, it is to the left of me. (laughs) If Matthew Continetti hangs up, I will understand why. (laughs) Matthew must understand there is so much bad news in the world that I have decided that only the absurd will help me get through these times. So I don't know if you were warned. That's understandable. (laughs) Okay. Thank you very much. So we were talking about the the great changes. So I, I campaigned... I went around the country for Dole, for Bush, for not Bush, the um, let's see, Dole, McCain, and uh, and Romney, and I didn't think they were great nominees, but it didn't matter to me. My my view, and I don't understand why every conservative doesn't have this. Anything is better than the left. Is that is that not a good unifying motto for conservatives? Well, I definitely think that conservatives have been unified by their opposition to the left um, uh, over the course of the hundred years I write about, though there's often been disagreements within the movement over, you know, where to where to draw lines within the right, Dennis. And um, a, a large part of my book is about the efforts of someone like, say, William F. Buckley, Jr., to say, uh, here's my definition of what an American conservative is. And uh, there are people who are on the right, but nonetheless fall out of that definition. He uh, he was as close as anybody in my lifetime to a universally admired conservative within um, among conservatives. The interesting thing is, even the left had grudging admiration since he was obviously articulate and bright. The you don't have an answer, and I don't, but I still would like to ask you the question. If he were alive today, 
Would the left do to him what they do to every conservative leader? I, I think so. Um, I, I think they did it to Buckley when he was young. Many people uh, forget that when Buckley first appeared on the scene in 1951 with his first book, Got a Man at Yale, uh, he was pilloried. Uh, the Atlantic Monthly devoted article to him trashing him as this uh, crazy right winger. Huh. Uh, throughout throughout the 1950s, Buckley was considered a fringe uh, character, and he was fighting to um, rehabilitate the American right after the Great Depression and World War II. So sometimes I think we have this uh, image of Buckley uh, in his old age when he had become recognized as such an important figure in the 20th century and contributing to the Reagan victory and to the final end of the Cold War and collapse of the Soviet Union. It's important to remember that the early Buckley, the Buckley who founded National Review in 1955, he was a controversialist and uh, he wasn't afraid actually to fight back against the liberals who were trying to marginalize him. By the way, just for your little uh, anecdote section of your brain, you'll find this, I think, of interest. Uh, he was a very major cultivator of, of young conservatives, and he published my first piece in, when I was, I think, 24 or 25 years of age. So I, 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 and I met him and I had a dialogue with him, and he, he I have great uh, affection uh, for this man, not to mention his love of Bach, which uh, is another kindred spirit aspect. So today, one could argue, would you argue that conservatism is almost, uh, or in the last five years, at the height of its power in America s since World War II? Well, um, I, I think it reached uh, close to that uh, in the aftermath of the Trump uh, victory. Um, so for the first two years of the Trump presidency, uh, the Republicans enjoyed complete control of the government, um, and uh, they were unable to enact some longstanding priorities. Uh, I do think now, um, uh, of course, Republicans and conservatives are out of power in Washington, D.C., and America is experiencing the results. And so I think in November is going to put the Republicans back into control uh, with, uh, I think, the, the biggest majorities they've had in 100 years wow. since the beginning of my history. Wow. And, and then it becomes what will they do with this congressional power, uh, even as there's still a Democrat in the White House for two more years? Well, they might impeach him just for revenge. Yeah. I'm not I, joking. I actually think that will, no, I'm, I, I agree with you, actually. That's hmm. uh, something I'm telling a lot of my, my friends in D.C. to be aware of yeah. uh, in the next two years. But, you know, the, uh, I, I think that would be a, um, well, look, let's find out what they find on this laptop. But uh, to go right in with impeachment as uh, priority number one, I think, would be a mistake because there, there's real problems in this country. There are problems on the border. There are problems in the cities. There are problems in the schools, and there are problems at the grocery store and at the gas pump. And I think that if Republicans want to retain the power that I believe they're going to receive in November, they have to come up with some type of uh, affirmative agenda to address those issues uh, that, you know, it, even if uh, Biden thwarts them with his veto pen, the American public still knows that the GOP has uh, a set of potential solutions mm -hmm. to all of these crises. So here's a big one for you. Assuming that the election was won fairly, uh, 
by Joe Biden. Just let's assume that for the moment. I'd like to know, and and we'll take a break before you answer this. But I'd like to know how you explain Donald Trump's loss. I I don't know what you'll say, so I'm particularly uh, interested in your answer. I want to remind everybody that Matthew Continetti is the author of this major new history of American conservatism titled The Right, and it's up at my website. I would rather be governed by the first 2,000 people in the Boston Telephone Directory than by the 2,000 people on the faculty of Harvard University. That was an interesting interview. Before I leave for the day, I want you to hear examples of what are known as the liberals of TikTok. This extremely effective website, or TikTok site, or uh, Twitter site, wherein this woman who runs it and has been exposed by the Washington Post, which is another subject, just puts up, that's all she does, is put up videos of people on the left. And for that, she is being banned. It's hate to put up left-wing material. Here are some examples of some of the stuff she has put up from folks on the left. Hi, my name's Az and I'm a preschool teacher. Recently we started wearing pronoun pins and the kids get to pick a new pronoun pin every day. We have some that pick like she, her every single day and we have some that change it up. So I'm a non-binary preschool teacher and my kids know I'm non-binary. Um, they know I'm not a girl or a boy. I use they, them pronouns in the classroom. We work on it. Not all the kids get it. That's okay. And I go by mixed gray in the classroom, not miss or mister. Man, y'all thought me uh, teaching the children about me being poly was crazy. But not only that, but they also know that I'm gender fluid. I'm going to give you my explanation about what it means to be transgender as well. So when babies are born, the doctor looks at them and they make a guess about whether the baby is a boy or a girl. Kids as young as three and four are actually aware of their gender identity, even if they don't have the language for it. To say that pre-K through third grade are not ready for such topics is actually internalized homophobia and transphobia. Well, I don't know if I have to say anything. At least you can't fool yourself into thinking that your children's innocence is not being ruined by these woke people teaching your children. Preschool kids wearing pins with their preferred pronoun identity. Teachers proudly telling their children that they're non-binary. Hey, kids, I'm not a, I'm not a man or a woman. Hmm. And if you oppose it, that's internalized homophobia. Really? What does being gay have to do with denying that there are men and women? Nothing. It's not only evil, it makes no sense. And yet people continue to send their school, their kids to school there. Hey, go to Dennis and Julie. Watch my latest project, Dennis and Julie Podcast. Just put that in your search engine. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. 
to hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.